questions you always had, the answers you were never given, the place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Greetings to everyone around the world and a warm welcome to the season premiere of Veritas, season nine. And first and foremost, I want to thank you, Veritas members, for keeping this show alive. Your words, your encouragement, your messages, your loyalty, your support is what fuels this radio program. And without you, we wouldn't have it. So once again, from the bottom of my heart, thank you. I also want to thank some of the people that keep things moving. Vic Giza with his wonderful art every week, putting a smile in our faces. Tyler, Samantha, and many others who lend us a hand every so often. New year, new music, additional topics. As I said before, the topics that used to be covered on Sanitas are now coming to Veritas too. So you'll have a plethora of new things this year. I also need your input shortly you will have a poll where you'll be able to vote for your favorite topics. I want to hear from you. I want to feel your pulse because you are the ones who are going to be shaping this program from this point forward. You've always had, but I haven't done a poll for a long time, so I think it's time for us to do so. Eight years, now we're starting the ninth, but as far as this show is concerned, I am very excited to still be around, to still be on the air, even though certain outfits out there from the media are considering outfits like Veritas to be fake news, when in fact, you know, are the mainstream media themselves. So the fact that you're listening to this program, waking up to the truth every week, waking others up all the time, I'm just flattered, humbled, honored to still be able to to conduct this program. As I said in the past few days, for those who don't like uh, PayPal, now you have Stripe, another payment method. PayPal's still around. Also, we are bringing back Bitcoin by popular demand. I stopped using it a long time ago just because I saw the Bitcoin go down and I didn't know if it was going to survive. But as of today, it's $715 a Bitcoin. It's still going. So why not give a chance to those people who want to pay with Bitcoin? So that's another option available to you. Now here are some ideas for the holidays. Now that season eight is over, we have the eight gigabyte futuristic metal case USB drive available with all the shows of season eight and some bonuses inside. So check it out on the very test store. Also, if you never listen to Sanitas, there's three full seasons available to you. You can still subscribe. There's one subscription type that gives you one full year to listen and download to all the programs. So even if you if you have and you want to buy it for somebody else, you can still do so by going to the website and buying a subscription for them. The same thing you can do here on Veritas. So great options for the holidays. You don't have to think about what to give. A pair of socks, stuff that people are going to be putting away in a drawer somewhere. Give them the gift of truth or the gift of health. What can you expect the new season? Well, lots of great guests. We have Peter Schiff coming in the next few days and other surprises for the near future. So stick around. And for those of you who still have the grandfather rate, thank you for sticking around for so many years. It really means a lot to me. I'm going to make our intros shorter, but tonight being the season premiere, I just wanted to give you a heads up of what's coming in, basically to just celebrate with you. As always, if you want to listen to tonight's radio program and eight full seasons, hundreds of hours of truth, you know what to do by now. Just go to VeritasRadio.com and click on the subscribe button. And if you want to get in touch with me, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or simply have feedback, you know, I always love to hear from you. And for our season nine premiere... Once again, we are delighted to have our friend Cliff High from HalfPassHuman.com join us tonight on Veritas. Hello, Cliff. Thank you for joining us, and welcome back for another year. Thank you very much. It's turning into something of a tradition, yeah. Absolutely. And before we started the uh, the break, I noticed that we are both kind of coughing a little bit, not because I have the flu or anything, but you mentioned that you had the same situation going on 
over there in, in, in Washington. What's going on? Do you think chemtrails have something to do with this? Yeah, I certainly do. And we're in a situation where we've got chemtrails as well as these um, uh, squalls or line storms that are blowing through. So, uh, And, you know, it's really weird, but when they form up chemtrails, they will make giant mats of them here off the West Coast because they know they're going to blow east. And so uh, they're, you know, they're actually staged to up here to blow east for whatever effect they're attempting to achieve. But, of course, we're underneath them while they're doing that. So uh, we've just had kind of rough air here for a few days. It's okay when it's raining, uh, but then it lets up and then you can see the chemtrails and then you're off hacking and coughing again. One thing I've noticed on my side here, I've never woken up at, in the middle of the night to notice my mouth, my tongue dry as a leaf. I've never seen that happen. Do you think they actually take the humidity out of the air? Certain of that. I've actually done tests to that effect and seen seven and nine degrees of relative humidity be dropped as uh, the big chemtrail mats float across us here in western Washington. Bear in mind, I'm like um, I'm on the other side of the Olympic Mountain Range from the actual coast. Uh, they they form these up in the in the calm air between. Uh, the Olympic Mountain Range and the Cascade Mountain Range, which is over Puget Sound where I am. They don't go much further south than where I am because then you start getting into open plains areas and you can't create these big mats that they try and achieve with five and six planes flying in these crosshatch patterns. Once the, Apparently, once it reaches a certain volume uh, or it heats up or something, it lifts up and goes over the Cascade and heads east. Uh, so, uh, But in the meantime, we're living with them here. I've been down into Portland and came up by train, was able to observe the activity from uh, Kelso Longview, which is uh, 40, 50 miles south of me. And uh, you can just watch Puget Sound be covered, but no place much further south than uh, Olympia or so. And in the whatever effect they're attempting to achieve, uh, it, it a side effect of that is what it does to us for the humidity, and we know that they're spraying aluminum in a microparticle size, and that's exactly what people put into deodorants uh, to try and glom onto the body and, and control moisture so you don't get bacteria. And we see aluminum used as a, a powder for as a desiccant in all different kinds of applications. So it makes sense if you're going to be breathing that, you're going to wake up with it, uh, you know, on your tongue and all dried out. I keep I keep water by my bed and and have to wake up at night yeah. when they're doing the chemtrails just to keep keep enough fluids moving. Interesting, you mentioned deodorants because in the summer, you know, I usually wear natural deodorant, but my wife says, "Hey, we're going to go to so and so's house. You're going to sweat. Bring the old deodorant." And I brought my good old. I'm not going to mention the brand, but I I was wearing it, and not even half an hour later, now I guess I'm used to not wearing it. I started feeling sick. Almost as if the chemicals and the propylene glycol and whatever else gets into my head. It, it certainly does. There are chemicals in there that can cross the, um, well, what's known the as blood the blood-brain brain barrier. Correct. And, and where do you pick it up? You pick it up on those areas of the body that are stretchy skin, such as under the arms, where, of course, the whole intent is to have all these glands there. And the glands, sweat glands, uh, as they're sweating out, they take stuff in. It gets into the gland and gets into the glandular system, gets into the lymph, and then right into the brain, and there you go. Yeah. Well, let's let's begin. Even though it's just a, a few hours ago, a, a few moments ago, hot off the press, you forwarded the December Ulta report and our listeners can buy it at halfpastcommune.com right now, correct? Correct. Yeah, we just, just had it posted uh, about noon um, West Coast time. Even though I have the report here, I'll also be jumping around to discuss things that may or may not be included in the report. And I know you're always OK with that. Let's begin with the elections. December 19th. Smooth ride and Trump legally wins via the electoral votes, or are we still going to see any attempts by the opposition to derail that? The emotional parameters say smooth. Uh, there's going to be uh, uh, attempts as of, that are ongoing now, but they're going to uh, be drained away of, emo of, of the energy and sort of fade. So uh, our data sets don't show anything that's uh, untoward there at all. What about the delusional recount uh, melodrama of uh, uh, Jill Stein? And do you think Soros yes. and, and the Clintons were behind this recount attempt? I think that they paid for that, but I don't think that they really wanted it to succeed. So I'm not sure what the point of it was. You know, it may, it, uh, anything that I would say to that would be speculation. But I'm quite certain that Soros' money is involved in that, as well as all of the... Um, um, 
uh, well, let's call them anarchists. You know, they're paid by him, so so they're not very anarchistic. But um, uh, these uh, the paid riots and so forth. Um, again, I don't know what his point is. I just don't know what they try. We're trying just like Occupy Wall Street. What are they really trying to accomplish? There's a uh, has been a move um, that we could characterize very. Uh, in a binary fashion, okay? Let's just say that uh, over time, we've seen a, a slip in the, or a shift in the population. Uh, how, no, let me phrase it a different way. Uh, a split. Let's say that we've seen a split in the population over the last uh, 45 years in an accelerating fashion, but really since uh, uh, Nixon took us off the gold standard, we've seen a split from uh, that part of the population that actually works for a living in terms of producing something of value that then the universe then rewards um, and those people that actually don't produce anything. And by that, I would mean government, you know, any lawyer, anybody whose job is to, to shuffle things around. In the first category, I'm putting the people that grow stuff, the people that are machinists, uh, you know, the people that run uh, plastic pressing mills, this kind of thing. Those individuals that are manufacturers that actually produce some atoms, move them around, and you in some way consume those atoms. Even if it's, you know, a plastic glass you're using at a, um, uh, at a ball game, you're consuming those atoms that someone had to produce for you. So those are the producer class. The producer class, since Nixon took us off the gold standard, uh, have been getting uh, shafted daily. You'll be able to plot a correlation in, in, uh, uh, tick by tick between the uh, rise of the 1% and the reduction of the uh, middle class uh, and the the departure from the ability to have convertible gold for the U.S. dollar, for, for the world reserve. So once that occurred in the 1970s, 72, we end up with a situation where the producer class is, is drowning under the effects of the debt that is making up the difference between um, – the, or the gap, so to speak. Those people that are not producing, that are simply consuming, are re demanding more of the producer class, but they're not contributing for it. They're not paying universe back for it, so to speak. And so not contributing for it, there's, there's a deficit. In a very real sense, the calories that somebody eats if they don't grow their own garden, they create a deficit that has to be made up by a farmer somewhere. And this is where the exchange system of money comes in to get that deficit uh, filled by that farmer's surplus. Plus. And so that's really how universe works at this basic supply and demand level across all. And it's basically a barter system backed by gold, digits, dollars, all of this sort of thing. So now since the gold convertibility, though, the money, the actual um, uh, species, the currency that's been circulating has not been holding its value all through the 40s, 50s and 60s. That was not the case. The dollar did hold its value in the in the middle class thrived. And the one percent was very, very, very small and didn't make much money because they had to actually pay out real stuff to get real stuff back. Then Nixon took us off the uh, the gold standard and said, we're not bound to reality anymore. Let's all party, party down and drink this illusionary beer. And then they called the illusionary beer the U.S. dollar or, or the Federal Reserve note. And since then, we've been drinking this illusionary beer. But at some point, we wake up with the hangover of the illusionary beer and we've got to suffer through it. And that's where we're at now, where the producers, those guys that have been suffering under the degradation of the dollar saying no more. I can't support as a producer, you know, a farmer out there, he's saying I can't support a thousand people with my machinery on, on the fields and stuff here and also have to support another thousand and a half, fifteen hundred people in a, a social system and still be able to pay taxes or be productive for myself. So I'm not going to do it anymore. And so that was the, the basic conundrum that society faces here. The cultural revolution of the past, say, 15 years or so, as we uh, became more and more concerned about those people that cho choose to identify themselves with their genitalia to the exclusion of everything else uh, and to raise issues about it, as, as we move into these politically correct uh, niche markets, so to speak, we are, we are losing uh, the producer class, we've lost them. And so what happened here was this last time was the military s stood up and said, pointed fingers at the um, uh, the neoliberals, neocons, whatever you want to call them. It's just the same crew, Bush, Clinton, it doesn't make any difference. It's the supporting crew that is causing all the problems. And the military pointed fingers at him and said, you know, y'all be crazy if you think you're going to win a war against Russia. And we're not going there. 
And so that was what happened in this last this episode. And so the the cultural war that we have had in the past 15 or 20 years, which was being engineered to a certain extent, has failed. Now, the reason it has failed is is uh, multiplicitous. There's many, many, many different reasons at many different levels. But one of the primary reasons is that the demographics aren't there. So the cultural revolution that Mao was able to lead in his uh, late um, leadership period when he should have been shuffled off into, uh, you know, the Ch- old Chinese uh, leader's home, uh, he was able to galvanize a, uh, a very young social warrior population and they uh, took over the country of China, and he wrestled the power back from people that had undermined him over like 15 years or so. And so uh, the same attempts, the same approach was used here with the, if you'll note, there's a an amazing correspondence between Common Core and Mao's One Thought, One People. Uh, and uh, all of the, and the net result in Mao's case was a, <coughs> excuse me, was a rising demographic where the the younger population, due to um, increases in uh, food supply and so forth, outnumbered the older population, and they were able to force Mao's will out as social justice warriors. That has failed here in the United States because of one condition, and that's demographics. The the um, uh, millennials and the subsequent generations, while they're now uh, voting and act- being activated, they are not sufficiently large enough to encounter the to counter the emotional strength and the uh, economic strength of the generations they're trying to oppose. So it won't happen here. Now let me stay with the gold standard for a moment. Uh, since money is is no longer backed by anything of value, namely gold, is the ninety nine percent suffering because their savings have been diluted by the creation of money out of Correct. thin air and, and artificially inflated the economy and reduced purchasing power? Correct. Because every time you hear the Federal Reserve say, we're, we're targeting 2% inflation, you need to, to put in a couple of different other words in your brain. Words have power. That's why they lie to you and use different words. They're targeting 2% inflation. What you need to hear is they are targeting 2% of my money. They're going to take 2% of my purchasing power. They want to reduce my ability to buy something by, by two cents out of every damn dollar. That's their goal. It's not a good thing. And they want to do this year after year after year. What am I to be left with? <clears throat> I had this um, friend of mine in, uh, in the 60s who was a son of a, um, a baronet or something from England. Uh, I went to school with him, and he was really educated in economics at a time when all of his kids thought you know, economics was – uh, how many finnings there were to a mark, that kind of thing, <laughs> right. right? And so, but he always said that inflation was the um, royals' way of politely stealing from the serfs. Yeah, and that's that's truly what it is anymore, and, and continuously. So we're we're kind of screwed now. The good news is we're at the end of the game. The reason that we're at the end of the game is because we face a an extinction level event for our species over these next ten years, and this or twenty years maybe. The extinction level event has to do with the return on investment for the amount of oil that we get for the amount of oil expended. It doesn't do you any good to dig a uh, to pump an oil a barrel of oil out of the ground if it took you two barrels of oil to find it. It's a net loss. And in our species at the moment, in order to maintain our civilization as it is, we need something between 12 and 15 barrels. Uh, return on investment for every barrel we put out just to maintain the illusion that we're we're an operating functioning society just in order to pay for the people that are not producing. So in the worst case scenario, we're going to have a, an economic crash so horrific that it, that will coincide with a, um, uh, a mini ice age that all of the people that are not producers, all of the people that are living by um, virtue of uh, the, the debt uh, being put on the society, all of those people will out, be out uh, you know, pulling tractors uh, through the field or pulling the harvesting equipment in vast gangs of humans because we won't have the oil to do that and this will be the only way we can get calories. That's kind of like the worst case scenario, maybe as early as 10 or 20 years down the road as as the energy supplies uh, dwindle because it'll get to a point of rationing. You can't, for instance, run a carbine off of a solar panel. You know, you can't produce enough energy off of solar panels to run a civilization and harvest the food it needs uh, to eat because the food it needs to eat is a very um, uh, brutally intense kind of uh, energy consumption that solar panels just don't do well at. And you would have to have vast quantities of them in, in a in a 
uh, levels that we are just not prepared for. So we face an energy crisis unlike anything that's been seen before. And had we dealt with this back in the 70s, at the time that he, Nixon took us off the gold standard, he, he thought that was his solution. Okay, he thought that solved the problem that we were facing. It wasn't that. We were facing the diminishing return on investment for energy, oil, and we needed to radically alter our society for sustainability at that point in the 70s. Now we don't have that option, in my opinion. Uh, I don't believe that over the next 15 years we could effectively have a revolution that put us all back into small farms where 60 or 70 percent of us uh, were in fact continuously employed in the production of food and other goods. Uh, it just does not seem rational in my mind that such a thing is going to occur. So faced with this huge problem that we've got over these, these next decade, let's say two decades to be generous, uh, but I, I don't have a real um, a solid feeling on that second decade, we've got to, but in, those, in this next 10 years, we've got to come up with a solution. And that solution has got to be radical enough that it provides basically what you and I and everybody else will think of as, you know, zero point energy or, or uh, uh, Captain Kirk's uh, dilithium crystal energy. We need something that's a solution at that level, an energy solution that's such a big breakthrough that it gets us over this hump instantly. And instead of having to worry about 20 to one return on uh, oil dropping down to five to one, which is not sustainable, uh, we would suddenly jump to say, uh, you know, a thousand BTUs coming in for every fractional BTU you being used. And in that case, it's like, hey, you're golden. You know, you could run steam at that level at half a percent efficiency if your BTUs didn't cost you anything. And you could be uh, an advanced steam society and have uh, steampunk spaceships for all that, <laughs> that matters there because you would have the ability to produce the BTUs uh, for a low cost, which we don't quite have yet. So uh, Tesla isn't going to do it. The solar panel revolution Revolution isn't going to do it. Even their maximum efficiency, they're running at maybe 18%, and that's 18% in a very narrow range, and it's not continuous. Anybody, I've run solar panels, and of course, now we've got chemtrails everywhere, which greatly reduce the, the efficiency of the solar panels. So we're finding ourselves in this kind of a weird little bind that's almost forcing us to, in my opinion, to uh, uh, shut off all the supplies too, and then negotiate with the breakaway civilization guys. Now, since you mentioned oil, today, after eight years, OPEC reached a deal, two years in the making to limit output. How will this change your projections then? None, nothing whatsoever. It doesn't change it at all. The issue is not abiotic oil, which does indeed exist. It's not like uh, they're in, oil comes from fossils at all. The Russians have proved this. Uh, you, if you drill down deep enough, you can get all the oil you want. The problem is the cost of drilling down to, re, to achieve it uh, increases your uh, cost of oil that you have to put out in order to get that oil for every foot you have to go down. And so it's not uh, a sustainable route for the 29 billion barrels of oil that we need as a global society um, uh, it, here it just it, on an annual basis. It just is, it's not going to make any difference what they do in terms of reduction. Uh, they won't be able to get the cost the price up there. The, the reason that they're, we're running into this is the same reason that we had the oil crises in the 70s, which resulted from Nixon, Nixon taking us off the uh, gold standard. We don't have value, um, value in our money anymore. So the money keeps degrading. They keep producing vast quantities of it, which so far hasn't produced any inflation because they've been able to keep it out of the uh, system and stored in such assets as weird old art that you know doesn't produce anything. So it's a non-productive asset where they buy buildings where uh, they don't really produce anything, so it's not flooding the economy with the, the fake money. Now, the issue for us with the energy and the money goes back to the idea that it takes real effort to achieve a, a barrel of oil extracted from the ground. It takes real effort, calories, sweat, blood, all of this kind of stuff to get an ounce of gold out of the ground. But it takes nothing whatsoever for somebody in the Federal Reserve to push a button and create $100 trillion. And so we're now coming to the point where all of humanity is realizing, hmm, I think I'd rather have the real barrel of oil and you can keep your $100 trillion. And so at that point, which is where we're at now and which is where we were in the 70s, you have to rebalance your social order in order to survive and thrive and get beyond it. 
uh, you know, to uh, to rise above it. And we're not doing that. We're not um, rebalancing our social order. We're not taking a hard look at what's really ahead of us. We're living in this delusionary world where it makes sense to paint our worry about painting our um, uh, airplanes pink in, in honor of someone's gender identity, and then also to worry about who gets to pee where. <laughs> True. Now, so it's not going to be solar, wind, nuclear, hydro. No. So we're no, talking about nuclear, over... Nuclear maybe could have done it, but the way we took with nuclear is is uh, terrible, and it's a, um, it's a death sentence because of the route that we've taken with it. You know, they've lost another reactor in Fukushima. And that's right, the earthquake. Now, over you, so we're talking about over unity, zero point uh, energy devices, but if this makes it no, to the not mainstream, even, not no? even that, no, not even, you don't even have to go that far. Okay. There were people in the, uh, in 1800s and in the, uh, uh, early 1900s up to say 1940s that were, were messing around with technology that produced something where you had a net gain that, uh, we would think of as over unity. But if you actually look at over unity, that, that uh, implies that there's no cost to the energy, you know, there's no uh, capital investment in the device itself or that that's repaid relatively quickly. We don't even have to go that far. If we had a device we could make now that would, who, that would amortize itself even over 100 years, but just sit there and produce electricity at an extremely low cost uh, for 100 years, we could get by with that as long as our capital expenditure costs were low enough that we could get into vast replication of it. Makes sense. So they could actually meter it without fracturing the entire energy industry. Uh, I think that that doesn't matter anymore. I think we do need the energy industry, but the way we've been going about it is, uh, well, and even in our reports, it's talking about how, uh, you know, in the 1990s, it was talking about changes that we're now living through. Some of those uh, changes are, for instance, the drop in demand for gasoline because none of the millennials drive. Um the rise in certain kinds of diesel uses. Because they have no jobs. Correct, correct. And, and there's no incentive for them. They're living in a social order of the c cities. Also, uh, bear in mind, there's been a cultural change at a very deep level that you probably won't grasp. Uh, I'm going to put this kindly, uh, uh, just because of your um, uh, maturing years here, okay? <laughs> and here's the thing, Guy. Uh, the cell phone represents freedom to the millennial generation the same way the cars represented freedom to my generation my parents generation etc they don't we used to socialize by a way of cars it was our way of socializing was to get into a car and drive to where other people who were also in cars congregated none of that is required anymore because of this abstraction of socialization that's been reduced to the cell phone so you've got it with you wherever you go so there's no no real point to moving your atoms around when even when you get there, if you'll look, go and look, you see all these, I've seen it myself. I'll go to places Virtually. and I'll see, well, I'll see people that are in parties. That is to say they're, they're in groups at, at, you know, places where people gather, Starbucks, restaurants, this kind of thing. And there's five people there and they're all looking at, at cell phones. phones. <laughs> <laughs> Not at each other, but their own cell phones. So why bother being there? You know, at my restaurant, I wanted to put, they have this technology that allows you as, as a restaurateur to stop cell phone signals from disturbing, disturbing people from doing this. But, you know, I haven't done it. Now, since you mentioned Mao, have you looked into the Sesame credit or the obedience score that's going to be mandatory in China? And now it's a, it's a beta test? Yeah, I have. Yeah. And see, that's the, the next step along on the idea that you can engineer a top-down society where you can say that, you know, this culture is to be treated this way and you get these and you do it numerically. It's kind of like what I do numerically for emotions out of language. But in my case, I know that 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 basically it's a by giz and by golly. And if I happen to get something, it's, it's more luck than, than art, right? Or more art than science. They, they're in an engineering mindset and they actually think they can engineer their society that way. It's a, it's a little scary, but I think it won't work. Do you, do you think that this is going to be technocracy coming to uh, the Western world too? I don't, well, there's nothing in our data that suggests that. Okay. Um, at the moment, uh, let's let's take a very broad kind of a view and say that that would represent uh, what was that movie uh, Johnny Mnemonic? Yep. Okay, you know what that sort of dark vision of um, what was the guy's name, the main actor, whatever the hell his name was, Keanu Johnny Reeves. exactly well, yeah, yeah. as he goes to China to pick up some uh, illegal bootleg data that they shove into his brain, right? And the and that vision of China uh, would match what we've just been discussing, wouldn't you think? Well, the way I see China, ever since. Uh 
Kissinger went there, I think they really wanted China to be the model of what they want for the world, a, you know, obedient population, you know, kind of a, you know, a, a, a hybrid of communism and capitalism. And the way I see it now, they don't even have to shoot anybody like Tiananmen Square or, or you know, run them through exactly. a, a tank. But basically, you have this company called Tencent, which is related to Alibaba and their internet services. So if you misbehave, your That's score it. goes down. <laughs> so I don't see why this couldn't happen here. Well, okay. Now, see, here's the thing. Here's the thing. If we look at the vision that was presented in that movie, just to give us something as a common uh, stomping ground, when he's there, they were presenting a vision very much of that kind of China, where it was controlled uh, remotely. And, and also, uh, people would get out of hand if um, uh, the digital uh, fascism went too far and you'd get riots because a lot of people might have their score demoted, even if it was Correct. by accident, right? And then they would go uh, absolutely crazy in the, even if it was going to be corrected and uh, cause problems. And at the same time, that that was going on, uh, Keanu Reeves came from a, um, a USA that was in a shattered, much more shattered condition than what was found in China, which was more or less um, uh, monocultural uh, in terms of how the movie presented it. And that's how our data sort of presents it, is that China may indeed be trying, the governments there may be uh, openly and, and um at all levels of their social engineering, trying for this monocultural approach. But our data sets uh, would say that it's not really going to work. And it won't work here in the United States, even if there is an attempt to continue with the um, uh, agenda. And it won't work here because at its core, back to that whole thing, our money's no good. <laughs> we can't support it. So in other words, it takes a lot of excess energy. It takes a lot of extra calories to provide food for people to run around and criticize other people in a politically correct fashion and try and make the society a particular way. And if you're running into an oil deficit, nobody's taking your money, you've got to go out and dig real gold in order to buy, uh, you know, uh, uncontaminated wheat from China or to or um, uh, swap uh, cows for people uh, with people in Mexico for silver. If you've got to do this kind of stuff, <clears throat> you're not running around wasting your time and energy with that other aspect of things. If you are trying to force that kind of uh, civilization on things, then we run into a Pol Pot regime where uh, we note that they tried to do that. Pol Pot tried to organize a social order uh, that, let's say he got the idea sort of from Castro and then went crazy, right? And his re the, the whole regime of Pol Pot, all the deaths and all of that, didn't last very long. And the only reason it could have lasted that long was because of the isolation of that small um, nation. You can't do that kind of thing in the U.S. We're too big, too di diverse, too many ways to get out or screw around with it. They couldn't even effectively, by the way, manage uh, prohibition. Prohibition was an absolute failure. Uh, the amount of, of booze consumed went up. And all we did was to transfer money to a criminal class. Well, the same thing's happening with with cannabis. I hate to use the, the, the name marijuana because they whoever's on top has the monopoly on that. Would you Correct. agree? Correct. Yeah, and we we see that same kind of thing, uh, as you say, occurring right there. And in in no way do prohibitions or any of the uh, controls in any way eliminate the behavior. Uh, especially in a nation as large as ours. If you get a small area, a small country, and you have your population of specific sizes, you can manage this for a longer period of time than you can in the areas that we live in, which are very diverse uh, populations of, uh, you know, uh, shared mutual interest and uh, differing levels of resources. And, and you just, <laughs> you know, the idea that the powers that be are going to um, – be able to control the USA over these next 15 years or so is is an absurdity. Uh, in China right now, the number one continual worry on the part of all the Chinese authorities, the, the and this this is uh, is this government is the most um, heavily uh, manned. That is to say, there's more people working for that government than any government on the planet. They have more resources at their disposal than you know, personnel, money. Uh, you name it, China has got more resources at their disposal than any than all the other governments combined. And their continual top worry is uh, the riots that may break out tomorrow. And and this is because of the riots that broke out yesterday. And in a country their size, they if they can keep the number of riots in any given year to under 110,000, the Communist Party considers that to be a real successful year. 
And that's why they have this obedience score being mandatory in 2020. But folks, I have to recommend something. If you have Netflix, go and watch Black Mirror. Watch the first episode of the third season. And you know exactly what I'm talking about here. People in the future may have a, kind of a chip in their retina or their eyes, and they'll be able to see everybody. I go, I see Cliff High, and I see your score. And we have any kind of interaction. And after we interact, I give you from one to five stars. And that's how people get their life. It's an incredible uh, episode. I, I recommend I it. Yeah, it may be a good um, uh, good view of things, but I don't buy it, Guy. I mean, I'm the, the idea of the um, Kurzweil vision of a Borg or uh, you know, humans with Exactly. Humans with stuff in them, uh, making them more uh, robots or robotic. Uh, it just does not work. It doesn't compute. This is all fantasy that only exists in the in the minds of those that are pumping out the, the um, predictive programming. So why does Hollywood want Mel Fabregas to be afraid of that vision? That's what you need to ask yourself. You need to ask yourself, why does is over 90 percent of everything that Hollywood produces on the dark side? Okay. Even if it's a comedy, it's a um, black comedy, a dark comedy. Uh, why do all the movies have all the death in them all the time continuously? It's because they're doing predictive programming. So I don't buy that idea that they can get chips to operate in the human eye consistently enough to be able to do any kind of an implant. The same thing is true of any other thing that's going to be in, in input into life. Oh, believe me, Just, and I don't want the fear either. But even right now with social media, you can see a lot of these millennials they're affected oh, sure. with depression. If they put a post and half an hour later they don't have a like, that affects them psychologically and physically. I know. <laughs> I know. They're just it's, – it's really terrible. Yeah. And they have no uh, – uh, okay, so Nicholas Tlaib, um, uh, the author of The Black Swan and uh, Anti-Fragility, uh, has coined a phrase and he says it's I-Y-I, that these individuals are intellectual, yet they are idiots. Okay, and they're idiots in the Greek sense of the word, which is somebody that is a social being that has no skills. Um, Idiote. Uh, this was a specific class of an individual in the ancient Greek society that was uh, accepted in the in the um, you know the city state or the village that they lived in, but they weren't really participants. They were lived outside of the, they were you know the outsider really a fringe level kind of a thing. Now, uh, it implied no social skills to the ancient Greeks. Here, it's sort of the reverse of that. These people have incredible social skills but can't do anything else. Uh, I've actually seen a millennial faced with a um, gate in a chain-link fence not be able to work out the mechanism to open up the gate. Uh, and a lot of these people that are, that are intellectual yet idiots have no capacity for cognitive uh, analysis to produce a defined result. That is to say, they can think about things and recite facts to you, but they don't know how to, to their mind is supposed to work in order to make A plus B equal uh, C, yet alone, let alone an A plus B, and then let's uh, take a definitive leap to an E uh, because we've had some experience with these things and we know that those subsequent steps will be involved. So these guys just don't get it. They just can't get there. And it's made a real impact on society. Uh, it's made, uh, you know, the even the sacking of groceries, a longer occupation involved with these individuals because they, they're they not trained to uh, to think or uh, about um, their own efficiency and, and this sort of thing. They're just trained in an entirely different way. Their view of life is in, is so different that it is, in fact, uh, altering the society around us at a, at a fast rate. Now, it's it's altering it faster because of the technology. So we have to, to acknowledge the impact of that. We also have to acknowledge the technology as support for the millennials. So if you take away the cell phone, if the cell towers die here in the United States, then we have an instant uh, shift into a different society and probably a month later, assuming that, you know, we're still, we're talking a situation where the cell phones don't come back. Then a month later, you've got a different USA and things are entirely different then. And the ability, for instance, to drive a car to go get stuff becomes a real valuable skill. 
Um, and there's no such thing as Uber or Lyft or any of this sort of thing. I'm not suggesting that that will occur. Uh, we do have things like uh, regional power outages ahead of us, and we do have uh, regional disasters that will relate to weather and so on and will cause cell phones and this kind of thing to go down. But there's no reason to suppose at this stage that the distributed um, cell phone tower system would be particularly vulnerable. It's not even vulnerable to EMPs, for instance. You hear the, uh, you'll see these things online where you get these um, emails, I do anyway, and being in the woo-woo business, and it's a spam kind of a thing where they want you to worry about an EMP coming. Yeah. That's an electromagnetic pulse. And they, they say, oh, an electromagnetic pulse is going to come and wipe out the millennial generation. Most of them will die without their cell phones in a week. <laughs> you know, I know I'm serious. I got an email like this. It, was it might hilarious. happen, really. It might happen. Well, here's the thing, though. In order to do that to the United States, States, you can't do it with a single single uh, nuclear weapon, right? There's no height or distance above the United States at which you can detonate any weapon that that uh, we're familiar with at the moment that would create a pulse that would in, would uh, damage uh, the national uh, grid. So at you'd have to have uh, I, I've seen it calculated 250 minimum. <coughs> Excuse me, you'd have to have 250. Uh, nuclear bombs exploded at a particular altitude in order to produce an EMP that would take out our national grid and take out the cell phones. So it's just not going to happen. And also, there's no uh, uh, way to coordinate that at the moment. Now, increases in minimum wage, and we'll have uh, Peter Schiff coming to the show in a, in, in a few days. But you see this everywhere. People want increases in minimum wage, which I think they don't work, and for multiple reasons that I'm not going to discuss uh, today. But will AI artificial intelligence replace most of the workforce and if so how will the government handle the increasing unemployment now we're seeing this ai happen a lot lately no we're not no we're not i'm sorry i'm going to get really i get really 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 pissed about this okay it's not your fault you're using terms that are are put out there it's it's uh, this ai term is is bogus it is not artificial intelligence these are what we used to call expert systems and machine learning Machine learning is even a um, uh, a bad description. It's not machine learning so much as machine recording because they don't learn in the sense that humans learn and can make a decision and so on. All they do is record a preponderance of data, and then they've got an algorithm that says if, if this size of data is bigger than that size, you go with the biggest size. A glorified so, computer. In, in no way is expert system correct anything more than the software we have at the moment. There is no AI operating above the surface of the planet now. There's no AI out and about in the entire planet with the exception of these qubit machines. All right, but, but uh, that, I don't want to interrupt you. Bad truth of semantics on my part, but the robots, the robots are happening, at least in the restaurant, fast food industry. It's happening. They're replacing yeah, people. Yeah, and you're going to, theoretically, that would lead you to believe that we're you're seeing a trend that will continue. But all of these trends are predicated upon the underlying continue a continuation of the energy model that is degrading so fast it's affecting everything in sight and that that uh it just hasn't hit uh, a generalized level yet it's affecting it if you're looking for it so the the de degradation of the price of oil and the the degradation of the uh, energy systems globally has already uh, taken the number two just-in-time shipper on the planet out. They've, they've declared bankruptcy. They're selling bits and pieces of themselves off. They're going to be disorganized and disrupted for years. So there goes the number two shipper on the planet. So tell me what, what planet, what world would see, uh, under those kind of conditions, would see increasing robots spreading rapidly throughout our particular backwater, uh, formerly um, well-electrified uh, society. It just isn't going to happen. Yeah, there's robots now, but five years from now, we may be hard-pressed to uh, install new new power plants. And, and to hell with the robots. Yeah, Soros. Will he be around much longer, pulling strings around the world? <clears throat> I... <laughs> you mean in terms of is he going to is he going to die? Uh, yes, he will die soon. He'll well, hopefully that, that die Well, that but uh, pulling strings. Yeah, see, here's the thing. Uh, he is uh, being exposed by the same generalized, um, uh, let's call it a, a meme or a movement uh, that's going through our social order. And that is, again, going back to the degradation of the money. So Soros, as long as people took his bribes and didn't say anything about being bribed, you'd never know he was bribing people. 
So the fact that he pays for Black Lives Matter leaks out because someone is not satisfied with what that money buys. The bribe just doesn't take anymore. And that's happening globally. Corruption is coming out everywhere. It always happens. Corruption comes out. Uh, came out over the last 200 years of the Roman Empire failing. You you saw the huge amount of corruption coming on out. Now, that happened there very slowly because of the uh, nature of their social order and the lack of the, the media and the movement of, of currency. Here, in our current pan-global civilization, uh, it's coming out very rapidly. And so as the money degrades, the uh, people that say, well, yeah, you know, it's a $20,000, you know, it uh, doesn't buy my silence the way it used to, right? I want 120000 now, and maybe that'll keep me silent for another six months. Well, at that point, you can see as the person doing the bribe that you're screwed. That You know, the escalation of that effect is going to be such that six months from now, they're going to want $1.2 million to keep their silence another six months. And so <laughs> you're not going to get anywhere. And that's actually what's going on. People are, are uh, breaking out of all of this and uh, revealing stuff as we see with WikiLeaks and all of the uh, emails and all of this kind of stuff, right? As the dollars degrade, as the, as the purchasing power of the money degrades, as it is uh, polluted by the powers that be, as happened in Rome, corruption comes out. We have all the stories of Caligula, Nero, and all of this kind of stuff yeah, yeah. because it was, was um, common knowledge at the time because the uh, currency of the denarius was so polluted at, at some of the point there that uh, there was only 2% silver in the thing. You know, it's funny that you, you were talking about the Romans. I was thinking about Caligula and the fact that he loved sweet wine and he used to boil this sugar on lead uh, containers and all that lead will, would uh, leach out. He would drink it and he would get worse and worse and worse. He was a psychopath already, but, you know, anyway. Sure. sure. Now, well, no, no. Hey, wait, wait. Stay with that okay. for a second, okay? Because, look, I mean, I, I don't want to be um, uh, too melodramatic about it, but, uh, you know, you're you're drinking the wine too, guy. You're getting, you're not getting pewter. You're not getting the lead out of pewter and the, the pewter cups that the Romans used to use. But every night when you go to bed, every day when you walk around, somebody's pumping your body full of mind-destroying metals. The Sulfites? same thing that, no, no, the chemtrails, the chemtrails, oh, yeah. you know, the aluminums, barium, strontium, all of this kind of stuff. So the same uh, effects on your brain uh, are going to be perceived, and we're seeing it through our social order now. Look at how, uh, if you look over the last, uh, well, I, I first saw the my very first uh, exposure to chemtrails being created as mats uh, with multiple planes uh, was in 1996 uh, in Puget Sound. I happened to go out on a kayak that I was testing, a little tri, a trimaran kayak I was messing about with, got trapped at this particular beach, had to spend a whole tidal cycle out there because I couldn't land couldn't come back in. So I just sat around and with my binoculars just looked at stuff and saw them building this mat of, of um, uh, gaseous stuff from the airplanes. And I basically thought, what the hell? Okay, so from 1996, you can plot uh, an increase in the, the amount of mental illness and the cost it's uh, taking, the toll it's taking on our uh, social order at an economic level. And you can even see that some people are attempting to profit by it, by putting money into uh, Alzheimer's institutions and all of this, because they're really sure Mel's going to end up in one. And in, and they may be, uh, you know, in the powers that be, and they're just going to profit on Mel ending up in one because he's been breathing that aluminum all, all his life and it's destroying his brain. And that's just the way it is with all of us. The, the social orders is actually attempting to profit from the degradation that is going on from the crap they're spraying up there. And they're profiting on it at another level. The stuff they're spraying up there is what's known as fly ash. Fly ash comes from coal plants. Coal plants produce fly ash as a byproduct of burning coal. It's the, and they call it fly ash not because, of, because it flies around, because it's so light and fluffy. And, and you mix it with a little tiny bit of air, and it becomes a, almost a slurry. Uh, that is to say, the air gets between the very fine microparticles of ash, and, and it sort of floats around like it was a fluid. Are they, and, doing, the, are they doing the same thing with aluminum plants with fluoride? The way they get rid of it is by using... No, that's steel. That was steel. It was stannous fluoride. They, right. they had us eat this stuff in order to get rid of the toxic waste from the steel plants that was piling up in the East Coast. Mm -hmm. And they made everybody think that it was good for your bones and, and, and it would help your teeth. Right. And all it does is destroy your, your uh, pineal gland right. and, and cause calcium problems throughout your body. 
and other other mental issues and so on. Well, it's kind of the same thing. They had a, over a billion dollars a year was paid out by the coal plants to get rid of fly ash. And you'll note it, uh, I think it was probably 1990s, late 1990s, there was a fly ash uh, dam break in the southeast. And this um, mud-like material flowed out of this uh, reservoir, the slurry, and it went down a... a, a uh, sort of a hill into a, a small town and caused all kinds of problems and many people were injured. I don't know if there were deaths. My memory doesn't go back that far. But it was a, it was a horrid accident and cost that particular coal-producing uh, conglomerate like $3 billion to clean up and then there were some fines by the government. Well, two years later, they weren't producing slurry at that plant anymore. And you've got to ask yourself, where was it going? And then you start seeing that slurry uh, used to be uh, produced at all these coal plants everywhere, and they're trying to shut the coal plants down as well. But as a side issue, the slurry used to be produced there, and it's just not piling up anymore. There aren't any more reservoirs, giant reservoirs of this slurry, the fly ash, being pumped out of coal plants to sit around and liquefy and, and sort of cool off and stuff before getting loaded into train cars and being pumped pump, and taken someplace. And they used to have terrible time getting rid of them. It cost the industry a billion dollars a year. And if you go and look at their, their taxes and stuff, uh, the coal plants that are operating are hugely profitable because they're not paying this anymore. And in fact, they don't even have to pay anything. Train cars show up along lines of them and pull that slurry out and off it goes. Hmm. Do you think we can, we can link those trains to the plains? Yes, you can. Mm -hmm. Yes, you can. Because we were out here in the West. This is where a lot of the um, activity is for those kind of planes because of the rotation of the planet. Mm -hmm. You spray something over the Pacific, the planet rotates underneath it, and it ends up in that part of the East Coast where you want it to end up on. Actually, I don't think it goes as far as the Rockies if you spray here. I actually think they have to spray on the other side of the Rockies in order to get it into the East Coast, but I could be wrong. But if it hits uh, the Rockies, all that water is going to be contaminated. Correct. Oh, yeah, it has been. Oh, all of our forests out here are dying from aluminum. Uh, we've got so much in the way of heavy uh, metals in our groundwater and stuff that, that they won't allow you to report that anymore from soil samples or from water samples or from tissue samples from any of the fish or the clams or mussels or any of that. You cannot report that at a public level without getting uh, deep problems for that. It's like standing Red out flagged. here with a... Exactly. And, uh, and uh, there was a guy I know who uh, was uh, out here reporting the um, death of all of these um, tidal pools off of uh, Vancouver Island on the on the west side of Vancouver Island, and and his his supposition was that it was um, uh, Fukushima, that Fukushima radiation was destroying the the uh, littoral the intertidal life uh, of Vancouver Island and presumably all of of uh, British Columbia and most of the west coast, and I would agree with his with his um, uh, data sets, his uh, suppositions, or excuse me, his um, uh, results from his tests of going on out and looking and seeing that the life was dying, that that was uh, quite factual. But I'm not so sure that it was Fukushima that was actually causing that. And it was simply because what he was showing in terms of his photos and stuff had been seen in Alaska and California and Oregon and, and so on before Fukushima uh, popped off. And I and we were all at that point <laughs> debating as to whether or not it was as a result of chemtrails because of the these mats that they would make. <clears throat> now bear in mind when I say that these planes were making mats, they were they were we had uh, when I saw them in '96 uh, there were five planes flying north to south and seven planes flying east to west and they were sort of like uh, as one might imagine they were sort of weaving the cloth. Correct, correct. Only in this case, they were laying out their big chemtrails and all the chemtrails were merging. And so from my vantage point down here near uh, Nisqually Reach off of Lure Beach, um, I was able to see most of the uh, northern uh, boundary way past Tacoma Narrows, way up past Seattle. So I was looking at most of, of uh, the Puget Sound at that particular angle. And so we're looking at a mat that was perhaps, uh, let's say, 200 miles long by uh, 80 or 90 or 100 miles wide. So we're not talking anything that was small. Now, on the Pacific coast, on the ones I've been told that they do off of um, the coast of Oregon, 
uh, by the guy who runs my servers. Uh, his nature of his job had him, one of his other jobs, he works three full-time jobs here, uh, had him drive and he was driving up the coast there on 101 in this coastal road. You get a good view of the um, Pacific Ocean for, for hundreds of miles. And he saw a chemtrail uh, bank, cloud bank, that uh, he's telling me, and this guy, has, I have every reason to trust his judgment from based on what he used to do uh, for the military, and he's telling me that it was a thousand miles. That it, that from his vantage point, um, and you know, knowing the angles and so on, he was looking at something that was a thousand miles long. Now he did can't see a thousand miles, but just being able to see the thing up over his head, knowing how long he drove underneath it, seeing the consistency of the thing, and so on, he's saying it it ran mostly a, a thousand miles. And we have reports too of that time. This shows the weird weather that occurs when these things blow over California, etc. So now they're, they're spraying everywhere, but this particular kind of um, uh, big mat approach was um, uh, when, in fact, I think, you know, you have to also acknowledge the chemtrail technology is, is uh, adapting. So we don't know, unless you're staying current, <laughs> what kind of stuff they're having us drink in our wine at the moment. You know, as we're talking about chemtrails, I'm thinking of Prince, the former, the, the, the late great artist that died. You know, that that, that song, uh, what is it? Uh, what's the, the, the lyrics? Are we going to let the elevator bring us down? And he died in an elevator. But the, bring, the reason why I bring him up is because shortly before he died, maybe a year or two, he granted an interview where he's talking about manganese as one of the reasons why the black population is so violent uh, because they have been, you know, exposed to to this uh, mineral. Have you have you heard yeah. about this? Sure, sure. Um, uh, okay, this is. You have to understand too that uh, the black population, relative to the white population in America, the black population has always been like twenty years ahead on any conspiracy. Okay, simply because they've been the victims of them all. Everything from Tuskegee, you know, even even further on back. By the way, so, it's Dick Gregory. If anybody wants to Google that name or YouTube it, yeah. And so, um, uh, but you, so you see that that is indeed uh, part of the plan is that you need a, um, if you're going to, you have to look at it this way. If you're the powers that be and you can't gen up a war outside the United States anymore and you're going to turn all of the tools you've got created to use against terrorists uh, to domestic, uh, you know, in order to be able to control the population because they're rebelling because the money is now stealing their wealth at the rate of 20 and 30 percent a year, not 2 percent. Once the hyperinflation hits, then what you've got to do is you've got to have uh, the bad guy. And so the bad guy in this whole scenario are going to be all these people that are too violent and can't control themselves and that um, uh, basically are crowded into little urban areas where they can be uh, you know, effectively controlled and uh, popped off on command. And so you notice that we have the uh, pop them off on command going these last few years of the Obama administration with you know, uh, basically uh, non-productive race riots. And by non-productive, I mean there was no – a uh, causal agent for the race riots other than police brutality. Right. Whereas if we if we look at 1968 and the Watts riots, it's entirely economic. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, they've been going on for 15 years that had bled the the black middle class in the in L.A. down to nothing and uh, the debts, et cetera, et cetera. So it was a response that was seeking a solution here. It was just, a you know, uh, you're killing us uh, uh, and there was no um, underlying social reason for any of the race riots that have been occurring, uh, at least in, in, let's say, the last 10 or 15 years. Now, the whole population is being outsourced, and we're all degraded under the um, uh, falling money. But there's now less of a divide uh, between people that are not 1%, regardless of color, race, uh, gender, identity, any of that. There's less of a divide between us than there is between us and the the 0.1%. And so uh, you've got to have somebody that's going to be the bad guy. They've got to do it in order, and in order to do that, they've got to have credible bad guys, and that's one of the ways they do it, is uh, body and mind manipulation. They pollute the the uh, the economic body of the 
of the country with bad money that has no no um, store of value, yet they tell you to save in it. And then they pollute the food body of the country through GMOs, uh, through the uh, chemtrails polluting the uh, lakes and the streams and the waters and the uh, crops everywhere with the aluminum and so on. And they're going to get sort of the kind of uh, response that they're after. It's just like in France, there was a movement made, uh, I want to say in the late 70s, there was a deliberate movement made by government to try and get as many of the French people on antidepressants as they could. You remember Reagan's words in the U.N. when he said uh, our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside mm-hmm. of this world. And in the last couple of days, mainstream media, the title is the U.S. military prepare, preparing for a next generation war in space. Who are the potential adversaries here? Well, here's the thing. Um, we've had this stuff in the data sets for a long time about what I, uh, you know, not jokingly, but just space because the word was in- well, yeah, in the, in the space code parts entity, there was this this uh, subset that was going to the idea of a cruise ship, a space cruise ship, you know, uh, you know, with uh, aliens that would come by and and basically cruise around Earth the way that you know you might have a cruise ship go cruise around some South Pacific island, that sort of thing, and you know it's a goofy idea, but um, we see even just the other day, Twitter was censoring reports about these UFOs, about this UFO that was seen over 12 Turkish cities and it, and was seen in very much like it was their version of Phoenix Lights. Mm-hmm. And here Twitter was censoring this. And it's like, hmm, what does Twitter care about UFOs over Turkey? Why should the Twitter organization give a damn one way or another? And so I think we're at that point where, indeed, the, uh, the U.S. military, uh, we know for a um, – uh, as a trend uh, that's been reported and led out to us with the predictive um, uh, programming in the media, you know, all the movies about space aliens and all of this, we know that the U.S. military, uh, they even admit in the movies, uh, and that's not denied in reality, that there's, the, you know, these people in, in holes in the ground reverse engineering all this space alien crap. And so uh, we can certainly suspect that most of that is probably quite true. Now, uh, in this last report of the December report, if you go to the conclusion, you see that uh, I'm saying that we're going to be faced with something that's coming up in 2017 and 18. I don't know when the disclosure is, but I think it's already happened at the elites level. And I think that what's, what has occurred and has to occur at this stage is that the pan-global civilization that you and I live in has to acknowledge that we're not the first pan-global civilization of this level of technology here on Earth, and that there's been something in Antarctica that's going to force us to acknowledge that. No, hold on, hold on, because I want to leave that uh, for part two, because that's that's a long conversation. I, I was very surprised to see that in the conclusion, because you linked that to 1947 and, and other, other things, but let's leave that for later. The okay. earthquake, well, f- first of all, we we know from Carol Carol Russon, and she was the assistant to Dr. Werner von Braun, who said that the last card, because we had communism, we have the the terrorism boogeyman, then a celestial object in the last card, an alien, a false flag alien invasion. Could this be the precursor to this? Certainly. And that's that's exactly what they want to do. They need to have, as I say, the boogeyman, the the bad guy to uh, get us all to toe the line, especially as technology improves. And we become uh, if you look at it a particular way, if you look at the development of technology, like, say, Bitcoin, Bitcoin is a distributed financial system that you can put on your PC or put in your phone that makes you as powerful as any central bank on the planet. And so you're as powerful as Yellen or any of those people because you can uh, receive and mine and issue money. Real money, things of value, uh, much more powerful than what the Federal Reserve pumps out. So imagine uh, that that's the direction in general that, that our technology will take over these next few years. And it won't go towards singularity, which implies a, that, you know, the Kurzweil version uh, is a very much a top-down control system. If you think about it, nobody's ever going to become a Borg on their own, making their own devices and stuff. That vision of people with chips in their eyes and this kind of thing is entirely central authority pushing this crap into you. Uh, so it, it's not a, um, a natural organic expression of, the, of humanity. But don't you see a, a bunch of, of impressionable people volunteering if they see that their lives will quote-unquote improve with that technology oh sure yeah 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 no no that'll happen there's no question about it and these people will die of horrible diseases uh very rapidly and uh, that'll be the end of it 
it's not going to it's not going to work, dude. You can't have um, uh, that level of penetration of the human body that is suggested by Kurzweil uh, with anything close to our kind of technology now and have it function. So imagine, for instance, that you have a chip in your eye. Okay, that chip is uh, in some way in order to function must have the capacity of carrying an electrical charge. That chip it probably has some form of metal in it. But let's say that we, we come up with a way of carrying an electrical charge in nanoplastic. It won't make any difference because the um, uh, analogy I'm going to use here or the uh, example is quite valid regardless. That chip is basically a small energized electrical field. One day you're walking along and a um, high energy burst from some other device – your dishwasher, your computer, your garbage disposal, your refrigerator, uh, a light bulb exploding, a, um, uh, a high-frequency um, fluorescent bulb out of whack. One of those will excite a sympathetic charge by induction in that chip and fry your eye. and You'll be blind. That's it. Uh, same thing will happen with the chip they put next to your heart and so on. This stuff won't last more than one generation. But that's if you think that the technology would be more, let's say, metal or synthetic. But what about biocomputers or DNA computers with nanotubes? Okay, it won't make any difference. The reason it won't make any difference is because it will have to be asymptomatic to the human body in order to control you. So in other words, let me, let me put it to you this way. Uh, if you wanted to, to be able to read something that way and receive information into my eye, if I wanted to achieve that, I have to put something into my eye that is not functioning as my eye does now, mm -hmm. right? Okay, so most people don't understand how the eye functions. The eye is one of your of four senses. You only have four senses. You don't have five. That's a lie by the people that want you to think that you are actually your body. You are not your body. Your eyes, your ears – your sense of uh, taste and your sense of smell, these are separate subsystems. You do not, for instance, feel light going into your eyes. You have no control over how that light is decoded or the images that are presented to the optic nerve. Your eyes do this as a subsystem. Your eyes cannot function with an external, non-sympathetic a system put into them. You can put in inert systems. You can put in glass. You can put in plastic that does not uh, actively involve things. But so far, every time that the human body has had any kind of an active chip stuff put in it, and even seen this now in dogs, where they put chips in the dogs and the other animals to just keep them alive and, and not harm them or anything, even those chips, what happens to them? Well, the body says, hey, here's an active energetic field. And in a feng shui sort of acupuncture way, it starts sending crap there to cover it up because it can't deal with this energetic field operating at frequencies that are not harmonious to the cells around it. And that's what will occur in the eye. Only in the other, uh, in your senses, the eyes, ears, uh, taste buds and, and uh, olfactories and so on, these will occur very rapidly because these are entirely separate subsystems, not under the control of the general body, that are entirely uh, conscious of their function, although not conscious of themselves. They don't know they're your eyes, for instance, but they know they're supposed to accept uh, light, transmit it and do this job and they do that for you and they won't do it if you were to put a small little bit of electrical stuff in there uh, for very long that very long will depend on uh, will vary depend on how uh, energetic your body is at dealing with these kind of things or lack thereof but you'll note we we cannot keep people alive on machines no matter how much we may want to even people that are paralyzed uh, that have um Uh, every reason to have an active conscious uh, effort to, to want to, this stuff to work are not able to overcome the debilitating effects of having these energetic fields put into the human body uh, at that level. And it has nothing to do with whether they're magnetic or, or DNA or anything. It has to do with the nature of the energy because humans are energy. Matter doesn't exist as, as, a, as this solid that everybody seems to think is this um, uh, immutable, impermanable or, or permanent kind of stuff. It's just, sorry guys, just uh, that isn't the way reality works. That's fine. <laughs> And this question, I'll get your answer on the other side, but let me end with this. You include quote-unquote fiat currency as a keyword in the latest Ulta. I heard that even Trump wants to, quote-unquote, revisit the current Federal Reserve System as it is today. I think both, uh, what is it, the Lincoln and Kennedy tried to do something about it, and uh, we know what happened to them. What do you see happening to the fiat currency? And we'll get the answer on the other side. How can people buy this report and all the other reports? 
Uh, you can get um, uh, you can purchase the reports by going to halfpasthuman.com. Scroll down a little bit past our uh, little kudos page, and you'll see an alter sales area, and it's called the Alta Report, the Asymmetric Linguistic Trends Analysis Report, and we have one for just December at fifteen dollars. And then if you wanted to buy one for that covers the whole last the, all of the ones for this last year, uh, we've got a special going out to uh, thirteen of them for ninety nine dollars. That's great, and folks, so much more. When we come back, a lot of projections for 2017 and beyond. Here with Cliff High from HalfPassHuman.com. This is Mel Famergus, and you are listening to Veritas, Season 9 premiere. Thank you for joining us. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to Part 1 of this very important Veritas interview. To listen to the rest, head on over to the member section or subscribe at VeritasRadio.com. You don't want to miss the rest. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for lots of great products. Thank you.